You're good when I'm good, Kevin. I'm good when you're good. Hello, everybody. Listeners, welcome back to another one of our Italian football podcasts. I'm your host, Connor Clancy. I'm joined by Kev Pugzelski. I'm not sure if you've heard him already, but here he is. Hi, Kev. Uh, hello, everybody. How are you keeping? I'm good. Uh, I'm looking forward to putting shorts on this week. I'm off to Madrid for the Champions <laughs> there League. There you go. There you go. It's been, it's been <laughs> up around 20 here in North Italy. So I'd imagine Madrid's that little bit toastier. Bernsey's been 20... in shorts in Barcelona and he, he looks a disgrace. Oh, definitely then, yeah. It's supposed to be around 22. <laughs> there so, you go. Uh, that's good enough for me. You're sort of, we're going to talk about some of your big news in just a moment. But before we do, let me introduce Vito Doria, who's also here with us. Vito, how are you keeping? Look, I'm all right. And uh, speaking of shorts, I think this week might be the last oh, week for me in shorts. <laughs> now and, it um, reverses. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're in autumn here in Australia. What's the temperature looking like at the moment? Um, well, it's a bit cool now. It's like 13 or 14 now, but we're expecting like 26 today, and then it's going to be like high 20s and low 30s for the rest of the week. Still what? very much, <laughs> very much shorts weather that is the... Yeah, oh, I don't yeah. think I'd, I don't think I'd own trousers if I lived where Vito, uh, <laughs> Vito was. Oh, summer. Look, let's face it. Even in Melbourne, summer ends a bit late here. Yeah, autumn really kicks in by late March, early April. So you're gonna be lounging around in comfortable weather until when? Because I can't imagine it gets properly cold there, does it? Um, I think by the look of things, maybe next Sunday. But I have to check the weather reports again. <laughs> but Melbourne, do you own a coat? <laughs> That's what I need Actually, to know. I do, do you own, own a coat? Couple, and one of them I bought in uh, Canada. Right, okay. that's over at the top, isn't it? I would not be owning a coat if I lived there, to be honest with you. But look, we're, we've not got Bernsey with us this week because he is, as I just mentioned, in Barcelona, embarrassing himself by wearing shorts while it's technically still winter um, and just being, no doubt, more British than he will admit to being. Even the, uh, But Kev, I, we did allude to the fact that you, you've got some news. We mentioned it before on the podcast, but... It's getting very, very close to the time when your book is released. Um, it is relevant to the world of Italian football, particularly with next weekend's fixtures in mind as well. So tell the listeners what it is, where they can get it and why they should get it. Yeah, so, well, you'd argue it's heavily Italian football influenced. <laughs> More heavily the... Italian influenced yeah. than anywhere else, right? Yeah, because it's the only game that is... Uh, well, it's the only... It's the only time that I've got two games from one country and Italy is that country so it's a book on the biggest derbies from clubs within the same city uh, traveling the world doing 10 of them writing about them hopefully entertaining people with them and uh, it's out on the 20th of March via Amazon and also via Pitch Publishing who very kindly uh, wanted to publish my words yeah and as someone who often edits your words I will say Fair play to Pitch Publishing for taking on that task in the form of a book as opposed <laughs> to just an article. Um, but Kev, you've not said the name of it, so let me say it and then you can confirm that it's Divided Cities, correct? It is, yes. The world's most passionate single city derbies. There you go. He says, leaning over and looking at one of the copies. Divided Cities, the world's most passionate single city derbies. Vito, you've seen the cover art. You must be happy that... Your boys have, have made the front cover. Yeah, very happy with that. We need something positive to uh, <laughs> have. So to see the Derby del Lanterna at the front of it, hopefully that gives uh, the Derby a bit more attention. But in saying that, looks like we might not get the Derby next season anyway. No, it no does. and I've just uh, written a piece on Total Hyphen Italian Football that I'm not sure when it's going to be scheduled to go up, but uh, <laughs> it's on the Derby uh, della Lanterna. I did uh, think that. I forgot assigning you that article when I saw I was like, why has he done this one now? Um, but yeah, fair enough. That's very much on me. So the Derby della Lanterna is one of the derbies that you've spoken about, Kev. What are the others? Uh, so the other one in Italy is the Rome Derby, which is fast approaching. That's next weekend for mm. uh, Syria fans. And so then that we game have, is um, on the twentieth of. Oh, no, it won't be the twentieth. It'll be the eighteenth or the nineteenth, won't it? And the book is out on the twentieth. Book is out on the twentieth. Um, yes, I I had a feeling they'd moved it to a Friday night, but that's wrong because there's 
there's Europa League and things this week, so it can't possibly be the Friday night, so it must be Sunday. Um, yeah, off the top of my head. But the, the other derbies are the, the, you know, the probably one of the most famous in the world, which is Buenos Aires, which is River Plate mm-hmm. versus Boca. Uh, we've got Flamingo Fluminense from Rio. And then um, the rest of it gets a little Europe-centric because of um, we have Budapest in there, Seville, um, the old firm between Rangers and Celtic. There'll be Rangers fans out there that, or Celtic fans out there that won't want me to call it the old firm uh, because of the administration of Rangers, which is a, a sticking oh, yeah. point still with their fans. <laughs> and uh, a few others. Um, you go to Amazon, you'll see the, uh, you'll, you'll see the, the games that are in there. Excellent. And listeners to this podcast, followers of us on social media platforms, we will be running a competition to give away a free copy of the book, which we've not even been given access to listeners. So you want to make full advantage of that. Take advantage of it because we will be posing a question on Instagram at Serie Total, on Twitter at Serie Total and on Facebook at just search Total Italian Football where you will be able to see that competition up and running. And yeah, you'll you'll have your chance to get your hands on a copy of one of these beautiful looking books. So Kev, I'll say it again, congratulations on, on getting this finally published. We're all very proud of you. And I think we're all looking forward to, to having a read of it as well. I'm really looking forward to reading your already edited work because I cannot remember the last time I've had that luxury. So I'm very pleased. You won't be getting messages from me like, Kev, what are you trying to say in this sentence that's not quite a sentence? But I kind of get why you put it down on paper. Anyway, we're going to get into the recent Serie A matches, aren't we? Because match day 26, nine of the 10 games have been played at the time of recording. Milan Serenitana is still to be played on Monday evening. So apologies if you're listening any later than that. But oh my God, what a weekend it was because Napoli lost last weekend and now their lead at the top is back up to 18 points because Inter couldn't beat Spezia. In fact, they couldn't even get a point. They lost 2-1 at Spezia on Friday night to kick off the weekend's action. Udinese then beat Empoli 1-0. Napoli beat Atalanta impressively 2-0. Lazio slipped up at Bologna with a 0-0 draw. Torino won 2-0 at Lecce. Fiorentina won 2-0 at Cremonese. Verona Monza was 1-1. Roma lost 4-3 at home to Sassuolo. And I don't think they had conceded a home goal in Serie A this year before that game. Juventus beat Samp 4-2. But it's all been a little bit mad. And we're going to start with the soon-to-be champions, who are probably going to be champions even sooner than most of us would have predicted a week or two ago. Vito Napoli beat Atalanta 2-0. And... They just look like they're going to win the title by about next week at this rate. The momentum is incredible. And also to see the rivals fall apart like they have been, I'd have to say, you know, I don't think anybody would have predicted any of this comfort, especially the Neapolitan fans. Usually with Napoli, I think they're so accustomed accustomed to struggle and uh, repetitive failures but uh, this time around uh, you know if they end up winning that third school debt to which they should they've done it with uh, consummate ease which is very unlike them and in this particular match against Atalanta you just feel that it was really a case of when they were going to score as opposed to if yeah. you know Kovaratskele scored that wonder goal but uh, it, the goals look it was a long time coming they probably should have scored a lot earlier than that yeah, I'd agree with you. Atalanta didn't have anything in attack. Like, I think Atalanta's best player was possibly Duvan Zapata and not in the way that he was threatening in front of goal, but he was just doing enough in attack to give the rest of the team a bit of a breather to to hold on to the ball a little bit. But Kev Vito spoke about that Faratskelia goal. Like, it was just another masterpiece from him. He had... Atalanta players going left, right and centre, but in a way that I don't even think you can point the finger at Atalanta's players of having defended it badly, because I just think, what else can you do in that situation? Yeah, there was probably a little bit of naivety that they all sort of (laughs) went to to him. But but the the thing is, there there was no other Napoli players around, so there wasn't really... 
that it wasn't as if they were leaving a man and then he could have rolled it across the goal for say Osman to sort of slip it home. It, but um, the way he sort of checks inside and just two defenders just come, one comes sliding across, one just runs and just continues their run. And then obviously he just sort of hammers it home. But, you know, we mentioned about how, you know, well, Vito mentioned that they're going to win the league with consummate ease and, and they very much are, 18 point lead now. But we, we spoke um, last week about how Milan and Inter are only sort of marginally off their points pace last season. Mm of last season and you know Napoli have just been phenomenal and when I was watching I had to keep reminding myself that I wasn't watching Spezia because they, you know there's a there's a gap there between the quality of Spezia yeah. and the quality of Atalanta but because they were in their away kit and because Napoli were so dominant it just felt wrong it felt that they were not that they were playing a side that is you know in the hunt for Champions League football let alone European football. And, I, and, and then I'd, I'd see a close-up of someone, you know, uh, whether it was Zapata or, or somebody else, and it reminded me it was Atalanta they were playing because they just looked so dominant in all of their games. Yeah, there was, there was nothing about that Atalanta performance that resembled Atalanta in the slightest. It was crazy. Like, we've, I've seen Napoli so many times this season. I've seen them in the flesh as well. But it's different when you're watching them play against the team you support because there is just that suffocating feeling that you've got. Like, it was at the point where by the time Kvaratskhelia scored, I was almost relieved because I thought, right, now Atalanta don't have that thing that they can lose. They're not holding on to that point anymore. But when he scored, I just thought, like, I, I laughed a little bit and I thought, what are you supposed to do about that? Because... They had, they had tried a couple of different ways. And to their credit, I thought Atalanta defended quite well for for the most part un, until the goal came. But they're just fine ways. Yeah, I, I do want to reiterate that Napoli made them look like that. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, I saw Napoli at the start of the season. They tore Liverpool apart, you know. And this was, yeah, even with their... Their, their form this season, that was still a side that came within a couple of goals of winning an unprecedented yeah. uh, quadruple. Um, and and for, I think, a lot of the start of the season, people were sort of downplaying Napoli's quality because it was kind of the rest of Italian football was, you know, on dips or not, you know, you know playing poorly and stuff. And I think we actually are seeing... Um, even if it is just for one season, because that sometimes happens. Mm. But a team that is so far a ahead of everybody else because everything is clicking. Because, you know, you, you, you'd be stupid to suggest that these are 11 plus, you know, whoever are the primary players that come in from the squad. World stars and going to go on to it. Yeah, no, there are some exceptions. I think Osman and Robert Shelley, you know, talent there is going to stay. But this is just everybody finding their form, finding their rhythm, finding perfect, being in the perfect place at the perfect time. And uh, yeah, we could see some record-breaking uh, point scores, I imagine, if uh, or statistics if we continue yeah. like this. It's, it is a funny one, right? Because it does feel as though the stars have aligned for Napoli this year. But in a way, I think that as an expression takes something away from what they're doing because they deserve all of the credit. Like, we shouldn't just be saying, oh, everything else has fallen into place. Everything else kind of has fallen into place, but they've still been freakishly good. And Vito, I wrote about this on total-italianfootball.com. What impresses me the most about Napoli seems to be a different thing every week. And this week, it was the fact that they're just able to win in so many different ways because you saw the game against Juventus where they just said, right, we're turning it on. We're going through all of the gears and we're going to hammer you. And then against Sassuolo, the game I was at, I thought Napoli never got out of second gear, but they still made it look easy. And then against Atalanta, you can tell that they're dominant, but also struggling a little bit to to find their groove. But they still just win. It's incredible that they have this flexibility. Whenever I think of the Napoli teams of the last decade or so, it seemed that uh, with the previous coaches, they could only really play one type of football. And if they could not 
replicate that type of football, they looked lost and they would end up squandering matches that they probably should have won. Uh, this time, they have shown under Luciano Spalletti that they are quite flexible. He still uses the 4-3-3 formation as opposed to his uh, preferred 4-2-3-1. But even if they stick with the one formation, they just adapt to the opponent and the situation. And when I think of this team, it's like they don't seem to have any weaknesses in any particular phase of the game. So they can hold out when necessary and just block the opposition. But then when they try to play football and dictate the play, uh, they're just a fantastic team to watch. And they're certainly a side when they do put their foot on the accelerator, they can dismantle anyone. Kevin, to say a lot about the the Atalanta performance that it took me until about the 78th minute to realise that Pierluigi Gallini was in goal for Napoli. <laughs> Probably. Um, I don't think I paid that much attention, really, because it's, you're just there watching Napoli pull teams apart again mm. um, because they don't really hold much threat to them. Yeah. Oh, what? If you're not watching Napoli every week, listeners, I don't know what you're doing because we've been trying to tell you. I um, you need to you need to tune in. It's it's an absolute show, and there were a lot of absolute shows in Serie A this weekend. Most of them for for negative reasons, at least at the top of the table, because we mentioned it already. Inter they went away to to Spezia Vito to open the the Serie A match day, and they lost two one against Spezia Spezia seventeenth in the table. Seven, it was unbelievable. It's quite a crazy result, to say the least. And even with the amount of chances Inter created, they didn't look overly dangerous in open play. They just seemed to be spraying shots left, right and centre. Spezia, with Leonardo Semplici in charge now, having replaced Luca Gotti, uh, they're defending well as a unit, but they're showing a bit more threat going forward on the counter-attack. And they did it without Daniele Verde, who's been a talisman for them recently. So I think... Uh, with Mbala and Zola up front, he had a fantastic game for them. He made a difference. And I just find it funny that Daniel Maldini scored the yeah. first goal, considering that he is the grandson and son of two AC Milan legends. So I think that added a bit of extra spice. Yeah, you can imagine Paolo celebrating that goal twice, can't you? It feels like um, playing the game on the Friday almost convinced Inter even more that this was sort of a, a less important game yeah. in the Champions League, one that they've got to turn up. Um, I don't think that, that I don't think that should, did, or uh, influence sort of Lautaro's poor kick. Um, it was a bad penalty, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, but uh, it, it does feel a little bit like they were going through the motions, almost thinking, yeah, well, th there's, plenty of, there's plenty of time to rectify our Champions League. Uh, qualification hopes if we go out in Europe but you know Europe is very much more important for them um, but I must admit I came in from a very long conference uh, and then a couple of beers after a conference obviously <laughs> as you do and uh, I managed to fall asleep as uh, Lukaku hit the, the uh, equalising penalty <laughs> and then woke up woke up as uh, Nzola was hitting the other one so I did I, I had what absolute did you result think was going on? <laughs> I had an absolute result just sort of missing whatever went on in the middle because by the by the sounds of it it wasn't very much well there wasn't too much time between them was there but I, I enjoyed this game while out. I took advantage of the fact that well, Burnsy's Burnsy's done a runner, basically, to, to Barcelona for five days, I think it is. So I knew I wasn't going to be leaving my computer screen pretty much from Saturday morning until Sunday night, late, late, late Sunday night. So I gave Burnsy the responsibility of looking after Friday night's things, which he didn't even do properly. And I headed out for for a couple of drinks as well. Um, but we did enjoy the game while we were at the bar, which was which was always pleasant. But Spezia under Semplici, because I think we've spoken enough about Inter, maybe not today, but generally over the course of the season. But Vito, you and I, I think, will we'll think back to Semplici's time more so at Spal than at Cagliari and think that, He's exactly the guy you want in a in a fight against relegation at the bottom of the table. 
uh, certainly, uh, the way things are now, the what, five points clear of uh, Verona, and I think with him, he's shown that when he lines his team up in a 3-5-2 and you've got the players for his system, they can be a very balanced unit. They'll defend in numbers, but they're just great on the counter. And that's one thing I remembered about his time at Spull, that you know the thing with them was they really just lacked a bit of uh, finishing touch, but they knew how to break at speed and they weren't easy to break down. So I think with Spezia and their ownership situation, they might have a project that's uh, able to bring the best out of Semplici's methods. Whereas we, you just mentioned Cagliari. I think the way that club's run is probably a little bit, maybe a bit of a mess, but I think more than anything, uh, the players available to him weren't really cut out for the type of football he wants to play. Here at La Spezia, uh, I think he can uh, build that team up in a similar way to how he got spulled from the lower divisions back up to Serie A. I agree. And I think this is, in terms of where this, where these players are at this point of their career, this is the best squad that he's had so far. Because the, the Spal squad was a bit of a mismatch. Like He had 38-year-old Serie A journeyman still knocking about. And then he had the likes of... Andrea Patania, who was trying to like prove himself having been let go from Atalanta. And there were just all of these like Atalanta cast-offs basically rocking up as well. So you look at this Spezia team and you think, for a man, everyone's probably a little bit better than what he had at Spal. And maybe at Cagliari he, he had better individuals, but it was quite clear that there was something not quite right in that squad. Whereas people had their eyes on other things or, or whatever it was. It, it was never really going to work at that point by the time he rocked up. And with Inzola, who I think is on his day one of the most hard-to-stop forwards in in all of Serie A, he's basically got what he had in Andrea Batania in a guy who's able to do all of the physical stuff, but he's got someone with, with legs. Like, Inzola is an excellent dribbler. He's a brilliant mover with the ball. It's like if you put Andrea Patani, if you put a footballer inside of Andrea Patania's body, that's Mbala and Zola. Kev, I can see you smiling away. I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure where you were going with the legs. Um, I, I thought what was coming, and then I was just sort of shocked that it was going to come out of your mouth. Was that you were going to say he's a better finisher? Because no, I do think Zola is a better finisher. You do think he is? I think, he, yeah, I, there was those couple of goals he scored um, last week. He just seems a bit calmer. He seems to have a, bit, a really calm presence in front of goal, particularly when it's it's not when, you know, we saw, we've seen Tanya a couple of times this year have sort of instinctive finishes. We saw him score, mate. Which, indeed. Against <laughs> Sampdoria, I just didn't want to bring that up because Vito's uh, here with us. But, um, but, but whereas when you round a goalkeeper... Some some strikers will sort of panic a little, or you know, get oh, you know, we've talked about them getting overexcited. There was there was something that you know we all ended up in hysterics because um, stop you, you and stop. yeah exactly, but uh, but but yeah, so I think he's a better striker, a better finisher. He's twenty six years old. I think if Spezia were to be dragged down in Serie B, although that's looking unlikely because of the you know the weaknesses of the three that are there at the moment. Um. Sadly, I don't know if he's staying in Serie A because I know there's been some West Ham interest in him. Um, but hopefully he would if he went down. But you know, hopefully he's still there for Spezia next year because it's somewhere that I'm still yet to get in uh, in Italy. You need to get yourself over, Kev. I'll meet you there. Direct train from Parma when it decides that it's running because it very often isn't. It's one of the most frustrating train lines around northern Italy. But the listeners don't care about that, do they? What they might care about is the fact that Sassuolo went down and conquered the capital. Now, this was... I think this, Vito, was the most fun game of the Serie A weekend because Roma have been brilliant at home. Nobody's been able to stop them. They beat Juventus there not so long ago. They beat Real Sociedad in, in midweek. And then Sassuolo go there and they're 2-0 up inside 18 minutes. <laughs> and then it's 3-1 at half time, And they end up getting a fourth. Fair enough, Marash Kumbula did put in his own little candidacy to to be awarded the most stupid 
individual moment of a Serie A season. There's something in the air at the Olympico, I think, because <laughs> it was... Moise Ken did a stupid kick there last week, and now... Well, Gianluca Mancini's been doing stupid things there all season, and now Maris Kumbula's done that, which wasn't even... It didn't even have any subtlety to it, but... Vito, I can't be the only one who expected this to be a low-scoring affair with probably a slight Roma win. Uh, one would think that under Mourinho, this would be a 1-0 win for the Giallorossi, but instead we got one of the matches of the season. And more so than Sassuolo's 3-2 win against Cremonese last week, this one was far more chaotic. Roma lost, but uh, they scored three uh, interesting goals. And then the way Sassuolo's goals came about, they had a bit of drama to them or chaos as well. So... Uh, lots of fun for the neutral, and once again, the Nero Verdi are definitely a team to watch if you want to see something positive about Italian football. I am going to give Sampdoria a little bit of credit here. Now, now bear with me, right? Because Sassuolo were, were not quite themselves for the first half of the season under Alessio Dionisi. And then 2023 opened with them somehow getting beaten by Sampdoria at home. And I think at that point, Samp had scored four goals in, in Serie A up until that point. And they were they were 2-0 up at the Mape inside about 20 minutes. Well, since the end of January, so when they beat Milan on the 29th of January, only one team has more points than Sassuolo in Serie A. That team is obviously Napoli. So, that Sampdoria result obviously gave Sassuolo a bit of a kick up the arse that they desperately needed. And then since then, they've beaten Roma, they've beaten Milan, they've beaten Atalanta. They've got more points than anyone since the end of January than than anyone other than Napoli. Kev, Sassuolo are back and it's great to see. I did. I nearly wrote uh, on Twitter that you know the old Sassuolo has returned to us because it did very much feel like like that. And there was a moment in the second half. They must have been, they must have been four two up at the time where the players were showboating a little. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I, it's I, 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 I just thought, oh, with Mancini still out there, and um, you know, even with Roma down to ten, um, someone's going to get frustrated by this. But but it is good to see because they are entertaining. Um, they're they're wonderful to watch at times, and they've got that sw- they've got that swagger back um, at the moment. Um, but it was, it, it was unexpected. It was. A strange old game, you know, even though Roma... I, I also, as I was sat there thinking, well, you know, what, what Mourinho would probably get himself sent off in this scenario if obviously he wasn't there to get sent off because he wouldn't want to watch it anymore from the uh, from the bench. He was doing this, Kev, wasn't he, on his Instagram? Uh, yes, his, uh, his, his uh, West Ham, come and get nah. me, David. Yeah, a, that was that amazing, though. Like and he he passed it off as if he was showing off a little gift from a watch supplier and his daughter's jewelry company. When we all know what he was really doing, I love it. I love him. I I never want him to leave. So yeah, I want him to do a little tour because look, it's gonna go really badly wrong at some point at Roma, and the whole place is gonna burn down. But when it does, I just kind of I want him to to rock up, like everywhere i want him to go back to inter have a couple of years there then go where could he go after that he'd probably have to drop down to like a middling club he doesn't really work at atalanta does it um where what mid-table Serie A club would Mourinho go to guys uh well wouldn't he could he could he rock up at lazio or fiorentina no fiorentina ugh, oh, that would upset me i'll be honest fiorentina is too idealistic yeah I'd agree with that. I don't think they'd buy into him. No. But that's why Roma was just so perfect. Like, from the beginning. It's like, yeah, that's going to be fun. I don't know if it's going to be successful, but it's going to be fun one way or another. And it has been. And it Could he have a little retirement be. at Genoa? I think that's a shout. It's, he wouldn't yeah. go to Samp because Samp are too nice as well. Genoa of that little bit of, La Spezia maybe, but Spezia's pretty, I suppose. But it's also got that little bit of dirtiness to it. 
I don't know. Genoa. Mourinho's going to go to Genoa before he retires and he'll win a European trophy with them. And Vita will never return to the podcast if that happens. I would just be some, I don't know, avant-garde musician or something. I don't know. Would you disappear off the face of like social media and stuff if Genoa won a European trophy and Sampa in Serie B? I would take a hiatus, but not maybe <laughs> a... Well, I wouldn't do anything soccer, uh, football-related. I'd probably just do music-related stuff, I guess. There you go. You're getting into it in 2023 as well. So, yeah, give you give you a bit more time to focus on your musical interests. But Perhaps. We should probably talk about the fact that, Kev, I'll come to you for this because you've seen a lot more of them than any of us have. Gini Wijnaldum is back. He's fit. He came on and he's, he scored a lovely goal. I said he came on. I can't remember if he started or not now. But he scored a gorgeous goal at the end. And his involvement, Burnsy spoke about it on the preview podcast, which is only out for patrons, obviously, um, is going to be huge to Roma. Yeah, it is for this sort of final few weeks where, you know, they're going to try and cling on to the Champions League qualification place. Um, well, they could qualify via winning the Europa League too, remember? Uh, well, yeah, I hadn't thought about that, actually. I kind of... Because cup competitions, they, they they really can go either way. I kind of unless you're in the final, I kind of just discount it at this point of the um, the season. But you know he's got he's got that quality on the ball. He's got that mentality that was obviously so crucial to you know the success that that Liverpool had for a few years. Um, he will get crucial goals for you. He scored the winner actually against Roma for Liverpool when they qualified for the 2018 Champions League final. So when he pops up with goals like he did today and there will, there will probably be a situation this year where he does exactly what he does bursting into the box chipping the ball over the goalkeeper but it'll be for a 4-3 win rather than a you know consolation in a 4-3 loss so yeah he'll be he'll be quite important for them now and because he's had that time out he's, he's going to be a little fresher even if a little jaded from the injury that he's not been able to fully train on and things with Kev, you say cup competitions are so like volatile that you don't want to, you kind of disregard them. I'll tell you, I'll tell you five reasons why they shouldn't disregard it. Why you shouldn't disregard it? Should I? I'll give you five reasons. Jose Mourinho's European trophy count, Kev. He's gonna get a sixth. Oh. They're gonna win the Europa League this year. You've heard it here yeah, first. Roma are going to win the Europa League this year. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I. What a conflict Ewan would have as a Manchester United and a Roma fan. He'd love it. If, if that was the final. And, it. Uh, oh, it would be. I'd, I might drive to Liverpool to watch him watch it. <laughs> Where's the Europa League final this year? Uh, oh, I think it's somewhere brilliant like Poland. Can you drive to Liverpool, get him, and then drive to Poland via Northern Italy? I'll go up and meet you in Milan. Uh, yeah, maybe. And we'll take him. Just, we won't get him a ticket. We'll just sit outside the ground with Bernsey, watching him watch the game. Be lovely. It'll be absolutely lovely, I reckon. But yeah, Rom are going to win the Europa League and Bernsey will be happy, I'd imagine. I think he'd take it. Mourinho, come on. Uh, oh. I, I I would drive him actually because it's yeah it's in the Puskas <laughs> Arena in Budapest and uh, oh, I I love Budapest. You've been and uh, been I did. I I've been three times. One of them's in my book. Everybody, uh, <laughs> it's almost like I was looking at the list of cities you've been to for that book. But the national stadium is the Puskas Arena. Is the uh, one of the stadiums I've not been to in uh, in Hungary. Right there you go. United Roma final. Total Italian football on the road, taking Bernsey to. <laughs> He'd probably have some health complications because he wouldn't know what to do. But anyway, let's move on, shall we? Juventus 4, Sampdoria 2. It was a lot more fun than it had any right to be. And I'll be completely honest with you. I saw this go 1-0 and I thought, game over. I tweeted, game over after 10 minutes. And then I just sat there on my phone with the game on in the background of the commentary running. And then... I had made the decision that I wasn't watching it anymore. And then it was only when Juventus got their second that I thought, why am I still sitting here half watching this game? So I went over and I started to make some food. And then I returned to the couch to pick up my phone and it was 2-2. And I still don't really know what happened. I saw a replay of Ojello's goal. But Vito, 
what happened in this game? How did Samp come back? I think it's typical of Juve that if they get a 2-0 lead, they take it too easy. And because they've got some aging defenders, especially Leonardo Bonucci, you just got to attack Juve at pace and they'll crumble. And it goes to show that, you know, if Sampdoria actually bothered to try, that they can still ruffle a bit of feathers here and there. So it was just a crazy first half. And it seemed like the miracle was on the cards. But then Rabio in the second half with that volley, he got the goal. And then Soler, the youngster, uh, added the win. But this was more of a struggle for Juve than it was against Torino. I think against Torino, you could have sensed that they had enough quality. But this particular game, Juve were making a meal of things. Vlahovic was horrible. Yeah. And uh, Samp, I think when they showed a bit of effort, um, they showed that uh, they're not a bunch of easy beats, even with a team that's very limited in skill. I had a feeling we'd be talking about Vlavic tonight after watching him sort of just smash that penalty against the post. I felt for him on and that the, one. Uh, I did a little, well, yeah, I did a little. It was more, I was looking at his reaction because obviously the cameras then go straight to your face, which is, you know, what Good. you want. <laughs> and he just, he just looks... Completely devoid of confidence. You know, Vito mentioned how sort of poor he was overall. Struggled to get him involved in the game. That's not just sort of your teammates not finding you sometimes. It's it's you not, you know, getting into the positions to, to say. It seems like he doesn't chase things down maybe as sort of determined as he as he used to. It's you know, obviously you don't you don't want to criticize people too, because those sort of things, if players don't look like they're they're in, they're involved mentally. It can be sometimes that there's other things going on. You know, it might even be just nursing a nursing an injury. The rest of us can't see. You're not going full throttle because you've got, you know, you've got a muscle a muscle injury that's sort of niggling away at you rather than actually stopping you playing games. But if you think about, you know, the way that we all saw this as quite a big signing for for Juve because it. There was a lot of Premier League interest, a lot of interest from clubs that could have blown them out of the water. Obviously, they did pay a big fee for him, but him staying in Serie A looked like a real, a real positive last um, last season when he moved to Juve, and it it it's really getting a difficult situation for him. Mm, he's reached that point now where you don't expect him to score chances. Like if he takes that penalty a year ago, I think there's no question that he he buries it. But this year, it's like you see him take it, and he's trying too hard to score it that he ends up just coming so close. I did feel bad for him because the penalty in terms of how cleanly it was hit, it was, what, two inches away from being the perfect penalty because even if um, it was Turk, sorry, I, was, I almost instinctively said Odero, it was Turk in goal. Even if Turk goes the right way and that's two inches in, not getting near it because it's hit with so much power. But... It's just, when when you're a striker and things aren't going your way, they just don't go your way, do they? I, I think he might be at the point where if Allegri's still at Juve next year, maybe Vlaovic needs a move because I, I don't think that Allegri's setup is all that beneficial to Conte. I love him. Yeah, there you go. Conte's <laughs> coming back. Um, but I, I think he'd be really good under Antonio Conte, incidentally. We won't speculate too much about that because what's the point? But it was a funny one. A quick mention for Martin Turk playing, by the way, because his story is quite interesting. So he's on loan from Parma. And it's not often that you see a goalkeeper go on loan from a Serie B team to a Serie A team and then play away at Juventus. But he looked quite good for parts of last season because basically with Buffon out, Turk had to play quite a bit. And then he was just naturally not high up the pecking order. I think he was fourth choice goalkeeper at Palma by the time this season came around. Not through a lack of quality, just because there were other people there who were always ahead of him. And so he got loaned out to Reggiana in Serie C. And he was playing and he looked okay to start the season. And then, I don't know if he made a mistake, but his, his performances just started getting a little bit shakier. So then he, he lost his place in a Serie C side. And then Parma looked for a new solution to him, so they loaned him out to a Serie A side where he was still second choice. So his season has been a weird one. And then I did 
worry for him when I saw him starting away at Juventus. And when they went 2-0 up so quickly as well, I thought, oh, because he is a good goalkeeper, but it, it, it's a funny case. He's like, it's like what we say about strikers and confidence. Goalkeepers are the only comparable position, I think, because defenders and midfielders can kind of just get away with it a little bit. But when it comes to a, a striker and a goalkeeper, confidence really does play a big part in, in how you're performing, particularly if you've not got it. But Kevin, I did want to ask you a quick question. So since 2019-20, Gleison Bremer has scored nine headed goals and only one defender in the top five European leagues has scored more than him in that time. Who is it? Uh, Benucci. It's the reason I'm asking you. It's Virgil van Dijk who scored 10. Um, oh, which okay. is an impressive number since 2019-20. Ten-headed goals for a centre-back. And... Yeah, and if you consider Van Dijk had a season out, really. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's phenomenal for big big Verge, I would say. Yeah, and big Bremer. Let's give him his credit. He's only one behind him, and he was playing with Torino, who weren't very good for a lot of the time that he was there as well. And now he's a terrible Juventus team. But less of that. What else do we need to talk about? Lazio don't score goals anymore. Alistair McKenzie's very worried. Vito, they went away to Bologna and drew, which on the surface doesn't seem like that bad of a result considering Bologna beat Inter not so long ago and they're a very good team. But when you think of what Alistair's saying, the goals just have dried up for them. It's very strange, especially in a Maurizio Sarri mm. team. Perhaps like I was addressing a few weeks ago on the pod that Immobile doesn't have the same touch as he used to. And uh, the whole Philippe Anderson as a false nine thing, uh, it seemed like it was working a treat. But maybe at the moment that experiment sort of uh, run out of legs, that it's not really a long-term solution for the Bianco Celesti. Kev, Fiorentina beat Cremonese 2-0. They are finding a little bit of a rhythm. Rolando Mandragora and Arthur Cabral got the goals. Cabral in particular, he's now got six in six. Alessandro Bai will be writing about him for Total-Italian football. But Fiorentina are finding form at the right time, particularly with Europe in the equation as well. Yeah, I think that they don't want to sort of ignore Syria because I think decent performances there can sort of keep the ball rolling um, for them to sort of keep progressing in Europe as well. Um, there was a lovely little move for Cabral's goal today. It was sort of like a short free kick. One of the players running away from the, you know, from the kicker, then received the pass from Barak and just knocked it across the goal. And Cabral, uh, you had to mention it, it home. Uh, of course, I did. Irrelevant, yeah. irrelevant uh, to the play, but you had to mention little <laughs> your little friend Barak. <laughs> well, it was he doesn't know you exist, like a... Kev. <laughs> I could, I remembered that he played the ball to the person that I, I then paid no attention to until uh, the goal scorer was wheeling away. So um, as soon as Barracks touched the ball, that's it. Two, the two people that would touch it after are almost dead to me. Um, I saw your tweet. <laughs> what was it in the Europa League? You just tweeted a big picture of him. Did you not? Yes, but look at the picture. I think the picture is somewhat suggestive if you look at the picture. That, oh, uh, so I'm not seeing it. Yeah. Look at the look at the picture, and as he's sliding away, it's like his shorts have flung up at a a, a, a little bit of an angle um, that 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 may suggest he was more than a little pleased with his goal, and it just made me laugh. So I just sort of retweeted it. Um, more than usual this week. I wonder where that is. Oh yes, yeah, lots of promotion. <laughs> You've tweeted a lot this week, Kev. I have. Oh, okay, I could see it. I didn't notice that one. <laughs> I had. It was on the UEFA. It was on the UEFA page as well, so I took it from there. Um, but it just. But you uh, didn't put anything to cap. You just said Barack Fiorentina hero tonight. I thought you would have put a little suggestive, <laughs> a little suggestive caption in there. Um, Vito no, just showed just... you the photo there. But Kev, why didn't you give us any clues what to look at? Just because I thought everybody would be drawn to it and sort of and and, and see what I thought I saw. We're not all uh, perverts, Kev. Um, but it just it just tickled me because I think um, UEFA only put Barack on their tweet or something. <laughs> they put very something very very yeah, almost to make you look at the picture. But anyway, um, yeah, it tickled me, but. Uh, the other thing from this game was it there were some you. fans. It tickled me. Yes, it was that. Yeah, I was even even from the distance. I was away from Fiorentina. <laughs> uh, so fair play, Barrack. 
Um, but yeah, no, the, the, the Cremonese fans actually were there in good voice. Oh, um, were they? Which I, yeah, and um, because there was a, a person that, um, so Danny Last, you might yeah, have seen yeah. his stuff. He was in Cremona this weekend and he was amongst that uh, sort of the the ultras or the mainstay of their support down at one end and there were pyrotechnics and there were flags. Oh, wow. Um, everything they'd left at home when we went there. So I sort of spent the game um, being a little put out that we didn't get the same um, show yeah. well, when I'd, we were I'd there for the Lecce game. Was a, I can't remember. I think I said it to you for the preview pod. Did we do the preview pod or was it me and Bernsey? I can't remember. But last week, obviously, Cremonese were at Sassuolo and I went along and their fans were great. Like, really good. So maybe they must have been protesting or something when we were there because it was genuinely the, the quietest Italian football stadium I've ever heard. Absolutely. It was incredible. Yeah, they must have been. Um, but there you go. Vito Lecce lost 2-0 at home to Torino. Wilfred Songo and Antonio Sanabria scored. But most of this game, most of the first half, was everybody just running around fighting. And most of that was initiated by Gabriel Strafezza, who looked determined to get himself or someone else sent off. Yeah, I would have find that a bit strange. You'd think he'd be the kind of guy that would be running rings around the Torino defense and trying to shoot from every angle possible. But <laughs> uh, yeah, by the sound of things, he's um, he wasn't up to his usual habits. He decided to maybe do a contact form of capoeira or something. I've got an idea here for you, Vito, right? So Gabriel Strafezza and Riccardo Orsolini, they are living parallels because when one's good the other's not and then it it changes so earlier in the season Orsolini wasn't doing much Strafezza was was smashing it for Lecce now Orsolini's smashing it and Strafezza's not really doing all that much are they the same person Ooh, I don't know <laughs> Mystery of the Cosmos, Connor. There you Mystery go. Mystery of the Cosmos. There you go. And Riccardo Rossellini, as we said on the preview pod, it just walks around the dressing room when he's happy making hyena sounds, whereas Strafezza's seemingly never happy and is always just a little hot-headed, which I remember from him at Spal, and he used to wind me up because he was always just on the verge of doing something really stupid. And I did feel like that again today. Watching him, I was just kind of waiting for him to get sent off against Serena. Uh, I ended up turning it off after about an hour because it was clear that Lecce were not going to make a comeback there. Verona Monza was 1-1, Kev. Verona keep getting draws when they'd have been much better off just getting at least one win from their last two draws because the Spezia are going to pull away from them now. Yeah, and the, the, the game was dire. Uh, <laughs> I, I, watched, I watched the first half and then realised that I had the option on... BT Sport to use the uh, the red button to watch uh, Cremonese Fiorentina. So I um I, I moved over to that and uh, there was sort of two goals in quick succession, but not enough still to make me go back to see if Verona could pull a win out of the bag. They just look <laughs> pull, pull a what out of where a win out of the bag. <laughs> uh, 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 yeah, let's not go back to Barrack. Um, it's clearly still on your mind, Kev, because a little well, because we, in before the end when you were saying win. Because we, uh, you know, obviously Barrack was with uh, Verona last year and that side <laughs> that they had got um, got dismantled. I, was, and, uh, I really thought you were going to say some sort of other word there. No, so sadly, at this time of night... Um, my brain and wit is not <laughs> it's, it's not good enough for that. Um but yeah, they're they're just gonna go down, aren't they? It's yep. it, it it feels like we have got everything decided other than Champions League qualification places for three sides. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because only a couple of weeks ago. Well, I've been like maintaining since about November. No, Halloween was when I decided that Verona were gonna stay up. But they've just not put it together yet and every time they've shown a couple of signs the other teams have just done it around them so Spezia looked like they were banging trouble now they look fine Salernitana like are creeping down there but they've got a win and a draw back to back now like Sam there's no goals mm. really in that Verona side there's no one there because you know they've both been a bit shaky at the back throughout the season and you think 
there's nothing nothing in you thinks if they if they if they tighten up there then they're somewhere scoring goals for them or, or capable of scoring goals for them and neither side have got it and I think that's what ultimately sends them down. Yes, and if you look at their strikers, you will soon understand why. They've got a few strikers in that team and I don't really understand why there seems to be a little bit of... Uh, hype's way too over the top, but there seems to be a general consensus that... that consensus, did I say? There's a general consensus that Verona's players are better than they are when in reality there's a reason they're at this Verona team and other teams who may or may not have got relegated last season didn't hold on to them or weren't signed by anyone else but not pointing fingers at anybody in particular there um Udinese beat Empoli 1-0 in Tuscany but life's too short to talk about that one we will be back during the week Burnsy and I Burnsy's getting me up well early tomorrow morning to record a another podcast which is not great because this is quite late by the time this is going to get up so I'm not sure how much I'm going to sleep for but we'll be doing the women's football podcast which is available on patreon.com slash total Italian football where you can sign up for two five or ten euro a month and it's a lot of podcasts for as little as two euro a month because there's also going to be the euro show not sure how we're going to manage that Burnsy's going to be back on Wednesday so we'll do that with me and him and then we'll have the Serie A preview podcast coming on Friday. And we'll have a little bonus, special bonus, bonus podcast. A bonus, bonus, bonus podcast with our man Kev Pugjalski to promote his wonderful book. Yeah, I've just I've just realised that Lazio Roma is 5pm UK time next week. On and Saturday. On Sunday. Before into Juve. And I've also agreed to see my mother in, as in the UK, it's Mother's Day. So oh, she could be having brunch for Mother's Day brunch. with me rather than rather than lunch so I can get back home for uh, Lazio Roma. Oh, that's a funny uh, one. Who's the Saturday night game next week then? Uh, it was terrible, I'm pretty sure. Uh, it's Salerno. Salerno no, Salerno Tana. Oh, Udinese Milan. Yes, that's the one that oh, I realise is awful. Um, Why have they done that to us? But anyway, oh, that's all fair chat. Listeners, thank you. Mm. Do head to patreon.com slash totalitalianfootball or for your reading needs, totalitalianfootball.com. We'll speak to you soon. Goodbye. Campionato di calcio italiano.